What we like to do on Sunday evening, if you are here for the first time, is to study from the Scripture verse by verse uh, some book or some theme or some Bible character. And we're happen we, it happens that we're uh, studying the life of Joseph, an Old Testament character. In the book of Genesis, more space, more print is given to this character than any other. More than Abraham, more than Noah, more than Adam is Joseph given more print. Must be a pretty interesting and important sto uh, story and uh, study, and I think it is. We're in the third lesson on his life, what to do when you're mistreated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of this time together. And we pray, God, that you'll move now among us, move in. We entreat you, Father. We invite you to be present with us and to make yourself real in this place. Father, there is no emptiness like the emptiness of having come to meet you and to go away without being sensitive and aware that you've been there. And so I got, pray, God, that you'll manifest yourself to us in a very special way because I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've all had the experience of painful mistreatment. I suppose that we've all had We've all been mistreated. Perhaps worse than that, we've had, some of us have had the experience of the wrong kind of response to mistreatment. How do you respond when you're mistreated? I remember the um, uh, passage from Isaiah. God said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher, greater, different than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Now the human way when is this. You do right and you're rewarded. You do wrong and you're punished. But what happens or what about it when you do right and you're treated wrongly? Is it true that sometimes God's ways seem wrong? Mistreatment is a part of life. Children mistreat children. It's absolutely incredible the way kids treat each other. Have you ever noticed that? The absolute cruelty of one child's treatment of another. Um, someone was telling me this week of, the, of a young man he knew that had been ridiculed and mocked and abused, verbally abused at school for most of his life. And teachers mistreating students or vice versa. Or husbands mistreating wives and wives mistreating husbands. Employers and employees Wife or child abuse. My um, phone rang recently and this lady on the other end said, uh, Reverend Tidwell, somebody referred me to you to call you, referred you to me and I'm, I'm calling. She said, I've experienced the abuse of an angry husband. I've been abused. 
and I can't get any help from anybody. Can you help me? Mistreatment is a way of life. But perhaps the greatest test tonight is the test of attitude. What, what do you, how do you feel? How do you respond when you get ripped off by somebody? Or, or life kind of slam dunks you. What you want to do, what I want to do, is fight back and get revenge and retaliate. Like the guy who wore the t-shirt, I don't get angry, I get even. And some of us like that, we want that. We want to fight back and get even. Now if you're following in the notes, mistreatment takes three forms. It falls under three categories. There is the undeserved treatment from family. The undeserved treatment from family. It's almost an unbelievable fact, but it is true, that children, more children are, are killed by members of their family than die from all three of the leading childhood diseases put together. It's incredible, but that's true. And just recently, hardly, uh, it passes, a year passes, what I'm not asked to, to speak to a, a child abuse situation. Just recently, uh, one of our church members and myself were asked to, to go and testify concerning a child abuse situation right here in Durant. Undeserved treatment from family. And I, 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 uh, I look at those situations and, 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 and really um, just recently just talking with my wife to say, you know, how can, how can families, how can parents bring children into the world and treat them the way they do? They don't deserve it. The undeserved treatment from family. Second, the unexpected restriction from circumstances. I mean, just everything goes wrong in your life. And all of a sudden you find your freedom restricted by all kinds of, of circumstances that bring you to places of confinement, either physically or mentally and emotionally. I mean, where, where it seems like that life just deals you a bad hand at every turn. Unexpected restriction from circumstances. And third, untrue accusations from people. Now, you won't live long until you're going to be um, the, the subject of somebody's um, false accusations. I don't suppose there's anybody here that has been uh, you know, exempt from that. A few months ago, uh, I got feeling real sorry for myself. Somebody had said something that was absolutely untrue about me, you know. And I heard about it. A guy was going to do me a favor and told me about it. And uh, <laughs> it's one Saturday morning. I went home and, I, you know, I just cried, really. I sat down on the bed and I said, you know, I was really feeling down, really feeling sorry for myself. You know, you give 18 hours a day of your life, seven days a week, and oftentimes neglect your own family. And what does it get you? It gets somebody that takes pot shots at you. And if they said the truth, it wouldn't be that bad. All these things that are absolutely could never be true. You won't live long until 
those things happen. Now, the Bible is a real book. Let me tell you, it deals with reality. It deals with real circumstances and situations. And, 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 and Joseph was the victim of all three of these. Mistreatment from his family, uh, unexpected circumstances that restricted him in life. It just seemed like that he just got a bad deal in life and these untrue accusations that people made about him, this woman and others made about him. What a, what a picture of so many of us in life. Now, I want you to turn to the 39th chapter of Genesis, and we're going to take a look at this. Verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Skip over to verse 15 of, of uh, chapter 40. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. It's a pit where he is. I mean, he's in the bottom of it. Now, where did he start? He started out in the bottom of a well, his, his brother's, uh, tossed him down in the bottom of this pit. And, and here he is, full circle, and winds up in another dungeon at the bottom of it after having had to start all over and learn a new lifestyle and a new language. Where did it get him? Right back in the bottom of the dungeon. Now question, where is God in all of this? Have you ever asked that question? When life just kind of does a job on you, where is God in all of this? Well, verse 21 says that Joseph recognized that God was with him. Where was God in all this? He was with Joseph and Joseph saw his hand, saw God in the prison experience. In that prison, God was real. As a matter of fact, God is most often real there. Uh, in Chuck Colson's book, Loving God, one of the most intriguing books I've read in a long time. Chuck Colson was a uh, part of Watergate, you remember, and got, got himself in prison because of it, but, but found the Lord as a result of Watergate. And the book starts off like this, quote, reporters are not allowed in Russian prisons unless they're there confined. And, and he tells a story about this doctor in, in a Russian prison by the name of Boris Karnfield. He was a Jew who had been um, thrown into a Russian prison and forgotten. And, and, and just before he was put into prison, somebody had just said a word of witness to Boris Karnfield. And, and while he was in prison, now you, you talk about an unlikely prospect for an EE visit. Here was this Jew in a Russian prison. But this personal witness of God's redeeming salvation, salvation grace through Jesus Christ kept ringing in his ears. And, and he was kind of kept alive in this prison because he was a doctor. And while he was there, he's, he knelt on his knees in his prison cell one night and gave his heart to Christ. 
And because of his new faith in the Lord, Boris Carnfield um, would not go along with the things he had to do as a doctor, and so he was martyred. But just before he died, he had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a, with a dissident who was in the same prison uh, telling him about Jesus Christ. Now listen to this dissident's testimony. Listen to this. Lying there on a rotting bed of straw, while I was there, there, bless you prison, God became real to me. And that Russian dissident was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It is oftentimes in the prisons of one's, in the pit, in the bottom of one's experience that God becomes real. Now what I'd like to do when I'm mistreated, I want to retaliate and get back. I, I want to get revenge or I want to plea for mercy. I want to sit on my bed and feel sorry for myself. Well, let me tell you, God can be seen in that and we're going to see that. So I'm speaking tonight to the victims of mistreatment. You see that cartoon, Ziggy? You ever read Ziggy, that cartoon? Oh, Ziggy's looking up, there's this, this cloud up there, this dark cloud just kind of looming over his head. And Ziggy said, have I been put on hold for the rest of my life? And sometimes, you know, it, it seems like it, God just kind of puts you on hold for the rest of your life. If that sounds like you, the rest of this message is for you. Chapter 40, verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, the chief, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, the cupbearer was the guy who tasted the, 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 the drink and the food before the king ate it in case it was poisoned. If it was poisoned, you know, it uh, uh, saved the king from, you know, untimely death. Cupbearer didn't have such uh, luck. But oftentimes the king, the Pharaoh here, and the cup and the cupbearer developed this intimate relationship. They were they were good friends. Nehemiah talks about that. And the chief baker is the baker for the and somehow these men offended the king and they got thrown into the same dungeon that Joseph sent. Now now let me say, watch this. Isn't it remarkable? Are you with me? This kind of gets kind of exciting, really. Isn't it remarkable? when you go through an experience like this, that God brings to your side people just like you? Isn't it, isn't it remarkable that, that when you go through these experiences where, where, you, where life does you a, deals you a bad hand and, 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 and things are not going well, that God just seems to bring into your life people who have the same experience? And I think he does that for two reasons. I think he does it because he knows those people can best minister to you. I've seen it happen a jillion times. 
Here's a student in a dormitory. He, the guy next door, his own roommate oftentimes goes through the same, has been through the same experiences that that, that person has. Uh, or somebody at work just comes in and just when you need them the most because God knows that they are best able to minister to you, those people who have been through the same experience. I think he does it for the second reason is because they need your ministry. Now, now, if your purpose in life is to always be comfortable and, and, have, and, and everything go right, you know, and that's what your goal in life is, you're going to have a, a pretty miserable life. But if your goal and, 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 and mission in life is to minister grace to the suffering, your goal in life is to be in the center of God's will, accomplishing God's purpose. Let me tell you, he's going to bring people into your life who benefit from your suffering. The greatest ministry you'll ever perform is the ministry to a fellow sufferer. Now let me show you something. With your Bible in hand, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to prove something to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Look at this. Well, look at verse 3. I'll give you a little time to find that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he's blessing God. Now, now, now the Apostle Paul wasn't, wasn't a guy that, you know, that got by with uh, roses. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't necessarily the fellow who escaped the, the, the trials of life. You, you know, you're aware of that, don't you? Aren't you? Look here, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just blessing God. He's just praising God, the God of all comfort. Now watch, he says, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if, look here, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Now that's a New Testament par uh, parallel to, to Joseph's experience. Here was this guy tossed in the dungeon, mistreated, all kinds of false accusations, and God just drops two men down beside him with the same problem for old Joseph to comfort. God always brings into your life the people who need your ministry. All right, now watch this. Pick up at verse five. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both had a dream. Now, I imagine that Joseph's gonna be a little bit um, leery of these dreams because he had a couple himself and it didn't gain him any popularity votes with his brothers, but each man with his own dream, in each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, now watch this, and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? 
Would you underline that? If there ever was a man who had the right to a sad face, it was Joseph. But, but you know what he did? He, he saw these guys with these sad faces. You know what it says to me? You know, you can write in, in the fly leaf. You, you're already catching it. You can write it in in the, in the, in the margin. It says that when your heart's right with the Father, when your heart's right with God, you're so sensitive to the needs of others. I mean, here's this man whose heart's right with God and he's just sensitive to these other fellows. He saw their sad faces. When your heart's right, you're more sensitive to the suffering of other people. And the second thing it says to me is that, that it doesn't matter where you are, what it's all about, what's happening, there's always some sunshine in your life when your heart's right. Now, 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 Joseph, now Joseph might not have been happy, but he sure had joy down there. And, and, and his face certainly wasn't sad. I mean, why should his face be sad when he, when he saw that the Lord was with him and that God had placed him in a special place of ministry? Why should he be sad? What, what do you want? What, what else is there for in life than that? When Thomas Edison was 67 years old, his laboratory, his, 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 his uh, uh, office, everything burned. Burned up all of his experiments. Burned up everything. His son, his bi the biographer, Thomas Edison biographer told this story. He said, while, the, while, while my dad's laboratory was burning down, my dad said, go call your mother and tell her to bring her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. <laughs> I mean, his, his place was burning down, all of his experiments. Go call your mother, tell her to bring her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. Wow, what a fire. And he said, by 5.30, he said, we're gonna rebuild. Oh, by the way, he said, kind of as an afterthought, anybody know where we can get any money? And then he said, he took his, his, his coat and rolled it up and, and, and just lay down on, the, on, the, on, the, on, a, on a table, went fast asleep. Somehow I kind of have that feeling that that's the way Joseph's made. Now, follow with me verse eight and we'll go to 14. Then they said to him, we've had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him in my dream, oh, there was a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches and, and it was budding. The blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Good news, buddy. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former customs, what custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind. I want you to underline that because old Joseph's humanity comes out. Keep me in mind when it goes well with you. Don't forget me. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Now, now it's important that you remember verse 14. All right, look at verse 15. 
For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me in the dungeon. When the chief breaker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there was some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, not good news, and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Wasn't exactly what he wanted to hear from that interpretation. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the cupbearer, a head of chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, put a cup in his hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to him, to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now a couple of things I need to say. Number one is this. When you, when, you, when you have this PMA, this positive mental attitude that Joseph had in the dungeon, I mean, it doesn't mean that you just tell, say what, you, what everybody wants you to say. I mean, Joseph just told the truth down there. See, he wasn't down there you know, to, 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 to please or to others or to make friends. He was down there to represent the Lord. Now, it's important, a lot of these positive mental attitude folks seem to give the idea that you're supposed to say you're feeling good when you're not. You're supposed to say positive things when you don't feel positive things. Now, that's not really necessarily true. I mean, you don't have to, to be a positive thinker. You don't have to tell lies all the time, you know, about what's going on. I mean, you can be honest. Now, notice this. Everything, just like Joseph said, happened. But, you, but what happened to these guys? They forgot him. Now there are two things about that abandonment. He was abandoned by, his, by these men, two things. One, it was abandonment from a friend and not an enemy. And secondly, it was, it was lengthy and not brief. Now I have saved the fourth category of mistreatment on purpose for last, and that is to be abandoned by a friend. Does this sound like anybody you know? Here's a, here's a wife who loves her husband. She puts him through school, works so he can go to school. He gets his degree. He gets his name. She did all the work. He splits. She doesn't even know where he is. Here's a, here's a, here's a person who has a good friend Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or close friend. And that person abuses, uses and exploits and hurts. Here's a business partner and you trusted that business partner totally and explicitly and they got the business and left you holding the bag. C.S. Lewis calls pain God's megaphone and he said, God whispers in pleasure, but he shouts in pain. And there is no pain like the pain 
of the disappointment and the abandonment of a friend. Now let me say two things about disillusionment. Number one, it's cause. Watch this. Oftentimes the cause of disillusionment is this. It comes from putting complete trust in a human being. Now verse 14 is a key and don't miss it. For in the humanity of Joseph, he says to this man, you see, he had, he had been trusting in God so completely, but in this moment of weakness, he says to a human being, to a man, for, don't forget me, get me out of this mess. Why, why, when, you get, when, you, when everything goes well with you, you get me out of this mess. What happened to his faith in God to get him out of the mess? Disillusionment comes when you put complete confidence in another human being, when you pedestalize that human being, when that person takes the place of God. Don't forget, you put that person in the center of your life and you're gonna be, you're gonna be hurt. Don't put complete confidence in another human being. So that leads us to the cure of disillusionment. The cure of disillusionment is to put your complete hope and trust in the living God. Put your complete hope and trust in the living God. In 1945, a man named Durkheim was confined to Dachau by the Nazis. He was of the same church, worshiped and taught in the same church as with Niemöller and Bonhoeffer. It was a great church. And because they didn't believe and they didn't agree, didn't uh, accept the Nazi uh, policy and, and uh, philosophy, they were sent to prison. Durkheim landed in Dachau. He said, there in Dachau, I remembered Nietzsche's words. Nietzsche said, man can undergo torture if he knows the why of life. He said a little bit, I went a little bit further than Nietzsche's statement and Nietzsche's philosophy. There in Dachau, I came to know the who of life. And this was his story. He said, I was bitter and disillusioned and full of despair. And I got a letter from my wife he said it had been cut up and worked over by the censors. But the letter said something about where we love you and we're praying for you. And, 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 she, and, and she gave a scripture verse. This is the scripture verse. Acts 4, 26 through 29. Listen to what it says. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, O Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. 
And he said, I took that scripture verse, didn't mean too much to me, and I put it in my coat pocket. He said, I knew that sometime this day I was going to be interrogated by the Nazis, and I was frightened. It could be a rough experience. He said, just about that time, they came to my barracks and called me to the interrogation. He said, well, I went to, to the interrogating room, and as I was waiting outside, a minister came out, another minister. He said, he bumped into me and said, God bless you, sir, and he, and he thrust something into my pocket. He said, I went inside to the interrogation, didn't read the passage of Scripture. He said the interrogation went well and I had boldness, I had, I had courage, I had strength there. He said I got out in about two hours, went to my barracks, sat down on my cot, was so thankful that it went well. He said I remembered that minister had thrust something into my pocket. And he said I, I reached in and pulled it out. I, he said I thought I'd got the wrong piece of paper. So I thrust my hand again, found the letter from my wife. And that minister had thrust into my pocket Acts 4.26 through 29, the exact same words that had come from my wife one hour, two hours prior. He said, there's no way that that man could have known my wife or even known about my receiving that scripture passage. It was of the Lord, he said. God gave me a word in my dungeon. Listen, you victims of mistreatment, whether you're here or tonight, here tonight or listening on television, God has a hundred different messages in a hundred different dungeon experiences. Would you join me in prayer? Father, there are so many times where we, uh, we feel like that we've gotten a raw deal there have been others who have hurt us. There have been times when we've been, we've been slammed against the walls. Circumstances of life have not always been the best for us. God, I thank you that we can see your hand in it, hear your voice, know your message. Know that as we make our way through this life, there are thousands of people just like us that you send both to comfort and to be comforted. That it is only the wounded who serve. Help us to accept, Lord, the ministry of affliction and of encouragement and comfort. And Lord, keep us from putting our confidence in man to keep our eye upon the Lord. Trust Him who is always the same, who never changes, who is always faithful, never lets us down. Now for this moment, Father of decision, perhaps there are those who you would call to a new commitment 
to a new life. Bless this time together now in Jesus' name.